Hi, and welcome to Voices, the podcast. I'm your host, Brian Ward, and today I'm interviewing Rose from 12-Step. Now, I will warn you, parts of her story can get a little intense, but I think that it was a really good episode, and I'm excited to share it with you. Voices, the podcast. Okay, well, uh, hello everybody. Welcome to the first episode of Voices, the podcast. Uh, We're excited to have you here today, and um, I'm really excited to introduce our very first guest for our very first interview. Um, I've known this woman for a couple of years now, and I won't tell too much of her story other than to say that um, she's somebody who has been very vocal in the community of recovery, and um, I'm really excited to have her here as my very first guest. I hope that people listening will realize that this is the first episode, (laughs) so there is a little bit of a um learning curve that's going to be happening here as well so with that i would really like to introduce rose hi rose hi brian how are you i i'm nervous and Uh i'm really happy to be here and yes i like to give my opinion thanks (laughs) well yeah um i'm i'm thrilled to have you i know that this has been a little while in the works there's been some scheduling things and then just just to update people, anybody that listened to the trailer uh, heard me talk about talking with different representatives from the programs of recovery, which is still part of the plan. But there are some programs that don't really have representatives. That's not really the point of what they're doing. And this first episode is kind of geared towards one of those programs where there's not really a representative to talk to. We can only really talk about the personal experience because we're trying to maintain a certain sense of anonymity. So I won't be using uh, Rose's last name for that reason, just to help um, retain that in her speaking about her experience in talking about 12-step recovery. So uh, before we jump too far into that, Rose, did you have anything that you wanted to say or add? Not specifically. Um, Yes, I am willing to talk about my 12-step um, road um, and what it took to get to a 12-step road. Okay, so let's get into that then. So let's let's start before it began. Um, tell us a little bit about kind of coming into it. Where, where were you at before you uh, started your journey in recovery? I am a long-term compulsive gambler. Um, I knew that I was in trouble in probably the 90s, early 90s sometime. I knew I was in trouble, and yet I wasn't willing to stop. And I kept gambling for 10, 12 years. But in 2011, I was in counseling, and I'd been in counseling for a while. And I was in a a group with other folks. It was an evening group, and two of the people were talking about that they'd been to an in-treatment program. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't understand or or comprehend what they were saying. Inpatient treatment for gambling? What are they talking about? And so I asked them about it. And yes, they had both been to inpatient treatment. They had met there, and they were still in counseling and knew each other and so I did have an appointment with my counselor the next day. I said to her, so what is this? What is this inpatient thing? 
And she said, I'm really glad you asked about it because I wanted to bring it up, but I was afraid I didn't know how to approach you about this. And she said, is this something you'd be interested in? And I said, absolutely. Um, And she said, well, we have pages of paperwork. Do you want to do it during this session? And I said, absolutely. That was on a Thursday. And I went into Bridgeway on Tuesday. So I got into counseling. I got into Bridgeway um, in treatment counseling right away. And that's where I learned about Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, on Sunday nights, it was mandated as part of the curriculum that we attend um, a GA meeting. And the GA meeting was brought to the facility. And we and folks who, outside folks who went to that meeting came to our facility. And, um, and basically, we closed down the dining room, and that's where we had a GA meeting. And that was in 2011. Mm-hmm. That was my first experience with GA. And at the time, of course, you know, it's not easy admitting that we have addiction issues. And, and I thought, are those people like me? Nah, probably not. They probably don't have the problems that I have. Um, and then I listened, and I thought, geez, I wonder. I wonder if they, I wonder if they know me as well as I know them, or that I have a sense of comfort with them. And I can say to this day, I still go to the meetings in Salem, GA meetings in Salem. I'm still friends with some of those people. Um, I have got to attend um, some of their uh, to weddings and family events. So, yeah, they got me, I got them. And, uh, of course, it didn't happen right away. It took me some time because, yeah, it yeah. just took me some time. Yeah. But that's where I first met GA. Yeah. So you were talking about how it's kind of hard to admit that, you know, that you have a problem or even that it's out of your control even. So what what were those initial thoughts when it came time to talk about like surrendering to some higher power? Did you did you have experience with religion before or are you religious now or was there something else that you felt that you'd be able to um, invest that control into? Well, control, control, control. Isn't that something? Uh, My experience, what I've learned about control is that I believed that if I controlled everything around me, then I would be in control. And then wouldn't that be a swell place to live? Well, once you go into counseling and you have um, some, you gain some personal insight, you go, well, crap, I don't have any friggin' control over anything, especially everything out there. Uh I was also in the midst of my gambling. During my gambling, I was trying to raise two children. And, of course, a parent is supposed to be in control and be in charge, for God's sake you know, be in charge of those people. Well, 
it didn't work well. It just, control has never worked well. Which kind of leads me into that magical thinking that we gamblers do. Let me see. Now, if I put in a, and I was a VLT, a video lottery terminal uh, player, and I would do things like uh, try to control the play. Well, I'll change the bet. I'll bet then I can win. Um, control the environment. I'm going to go sit in this corner. I'm not going to sit by that person. Um I'll wear these certain shoes. There was a lot of magical, mythical um, ideas that I had, thinking that that would help me be in control, and therefore I'd win. I'd be the winner. Mm -hmm. Um, hmm. So when I got into GA, I had a terrible time with all the steps. Um... However, something else had happened in my life. I had, um, I had been in an affair with a married man for about 18 years. And his wife passed. And Soon after that, he said to me, will you go to church with me? And I was, I was overwhelmed. I didn't know he went to church. We never talked about that. And I, with all the negative attitude I could muster, I said, yeah, yeah, I'll go with you. And mind you, I'm still gambling. Mm -hmm. Having an affair with a married man, gambling. So that following Sunday, indeed, I went with him to church. Uh, I walked in with him, arm in arm. We walked in together. And when I walked in the doors, what I heard in my head was, oh, this is where I was supposed to be. It was the first time that I was aware of being lost. And I was an old woman. My children were grown. And, and that was when I believe that my road to recovery started. So when I found GA which was after this experience, mm -hmm. it wasn't so hard for me to accept the second step because I believe for, for my direction, for my path, for my road, if I wouldn't have said, yeah, 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 I'll go to church with you, God, if I wouldn't have whined about that, and did it anyway. And isn't that what recovery is about? <laughs> you know, you whine yeah. and piss and moan about it, and you do it anyway. Mm -hmm. But so when it came to the 12 steps, um, 
it was the control was the biggest issue, but it was easy for me to say that I was out of control and I needed help. And then the second step was admitting um, that I had a higher power. Yeah, or I wouldn't have been there. I would not have been there. That is my belief. Gotcha. Uh, um, so first, thank you for your candor in that. Um, I mean, that was some some powerful stuff that was happening during that time, you know. Um, so it was kind of my understanding and, you know, also not speaking as a representative, this was just kind of my experience with it, was that religion could play a part in accepting higher powers, but that it didn't necessarily have to. That that 12 steps kind of in general are spiritual foundations, but not necessarily religious to any one deity. It's more about a personal journey, right? So, yep. So whatever whatever it is that you feel is bigger than yourself that you can kind of surrender to and acknowledge that it is bigger than yourself you know that becomes the higher power that you're that you're kind of handing that control over to is that is that more or less well take away from it as well or i've said in a lot of meetings and i've heard people say things like um we're not saying that you need to have a God. Anything can be your higher power. This cup of coffee can be your higher power. It's a process of changing your point of view because as they say in GA, and there are a lot of sayings, (laughs) the only half the only thing you have to change is everything. That's all. That's all. Yeah. That sounds easy enough. Right. Unless it's not. That's one thing. That's Every, only one everything. Everything. Is one thing. <laughs> everything. Yeah. Because if I were so damn smart, if I knew so much, if I were in control, would I have ended up homeless? Sure. Would I have ended up living the way I was living. So I lived a lot of years with wrong thinking, with um, taking the wrong path. So for me, my path was kind of reversed. I found a higher power And it was just walking into a building saying, oh, this is where I belong, because I never felt like I belonged. And when I stepped into the rooms of Gamblers Anonymous, one more time, it was one more place that I felt I belonged. I was with like-minded people who knew who I was. I didn't I didn't have to pretend or lie or act like I could just be me. A compulsive gambler at that time looking for abstinence, man. That's what I, that's all I was looking for, abstinence. 
Um, yeah, I, I don't have much more to say about that. Mm -hmm. About the higher power. Mm -hmm. Right now, I am leading um, a, a GA meeting um, once a week. And I've had almost everyone that comes in questions a higher power. And I don't know that that is a first, second, third, or fourth step that you have to take that acknowledgement. I believe just acknowledging that you're in a world of hurt, that, that the bottom has just dropped out of whatever your life is about, that's the first step. And that might be a second step, third step, fourth step, tenth step. You may have to live with that for quite some time before taking the GA second step of, of um, I forgot the terminology already, but Came acknowledging a power that are greater than ourselves. Yeah. 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 Um, it takes some time for a lot of us. I believe I was fortunate I believe my, my path was chosen for me because I'd done all that other stuff. Man, I'd been in the mix of it for a lot of years. And don't get me wrong, I liked it because I liked naughtiness. I don't like evil or bad, but I liked the naughtiness of it. And, um, and that was one of the things about gambling. You know, I was being naughty. I wasn't harming anyone. Oh, yeah myself, my family, my friends, my, yeah, yeah, my it's employer. It's sight of all of that when you're in action mode and thinking, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not. I'm, you know, yeah, it's. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's that stinking thinking that, that GA folks talk about. Because um, that's, yeah. So. And, you know, we do hear that a lot about stinking thinking. And, and like you were saying, the kind of awareness that it's happening. You know, the, the, a lot of people will talk about the fog that they might get kind of trapped in. Um, in my personal journey, it was kind of like being the passenger in a car. Like, I, I wasn't necessarily controlling the ship, but I was pretty well aware of what was going on most of the time. So, you know, the numbers may have been skewed for whatever reason, subconscious or otherwise. Uh, but, but there was this kind of general awareness that what I was doing was painful to me. And then, again, speaking more personally, the people that I was hurting, um, it, was, it was, you know, it became obvious. But there was also this feeling like you're the passenger, feeling like you're just watching your your life unfold in front of you. Uh, did you experience any of that? You know, you're talking about the naughtiness and, and kind of finding, I don't know if it's dopamine or, or what, that you're kind of getting from that little sneakiness or whatever, but did you also kind of 
at any time feel like you were just present for it without really manning the ship or or did you feel did you feel pretty much at all times that you were in control until you came to that understanding I gam I was an escape gambler uh-huh. I gambled to find some quiet in my brain mm-hmm. I when I was sitting behind a, a machine, I didn't worry about the kids, the family, the rent payment, the car not working, the is my mother okay, is my dad dying, is uh, am I in a relationship with a married man? Um, I didn't worry about life. It wasn't that I didn't worry. It was gone. Mm -hmm. I could sit at a machine, and I had quiet in my brain Mm -hmm. because I was focused on this action. What were you asking? <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. Um, so, was there ever a time that you that you just kind of felt that you were a passenger in your own life, or did did you feel most of the time like like this was completely willingness, like complete willingness to do the things that you were doing? It started out complete willingness because I loved it so much. Mm-hmm. I loved gambling. It was so much fun. I liked the risk of it. Mm-hmm. I liked the idea that maybe I'm going to win something. Yay me. Wouldn't that be fun? Uh-huh. Um, and I had a woman who helped raise me. Um, she was almost more than a mother to me. She kept me out of a lot of harm's way Mm -hmm. over the years. And I started gambling with her by the time I was 21 and maybe even before that. And, um, And then after a while, you know, she had plenty of money. I was having to work and I didn't have enough money for me to gamble as much as I wanted. And so in that respect, I felt like I was a passenger in her life. I was okay. going along with her. I used to drive her back and forth between Portland, Oregon, and Yuma, Arizona, different times of the year. We'd stop in different places. And I remember saying, you can ask me where the bathrooms are in any casino between Everett, Washington, and Yuma, Arizona, and I can describe the bathroom to you <laughs> and the parking lot because we went to the mall. Mm-hmm. And if I ran out of money, which I often did, she would provide me with money. Mm-hmm. And then once I 
decided that I could no longer gamble, our relationship was severed. And um, I didn't see her for about 10 years, eight years. And three years ago, I went looking for her to see if I could find her and see how she was and to tell her what was going on with me. And she saw me and she said, I'm so glad to see you. She said, will you take me back to Portland? I'll buy a house. You can take care of me and we can go gamble every day. And I, I, I couldn't live that way. She was still living that way. And that was devastating to me, was that how happy she was to see me was so exciting. Mm-hmm. And then she wanted me to be able to take her so we could gamble every day. And I guess she never knew my distress, where my gambling took me. And I certainly can't talk to her gambling. Um, but, yeah, the relationship was severed. And I'm telling you, she kept me on the straight and narrow when I was a teenager because I was just the slightest bit rebellious. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So. So that that kind of severed connection, realizing that, that it didn't serve the same purpose in your life anymore, that, that it was serving this person that, that, I mean, you have this massive connection, but probably the biggest connection yeah. a person can have, right? So I think that that is a good time to kind of talk about what what 12-step GA specifically can offer in the sense of community and connection. You had mentioned that... Um, that the meetings that you were going to down in Salem that you still now go to and still have connections from 2011, you know, you're creating some, some really powerful connections now too. So, you know, care to talk about that a little bit? It's not that I, what it is, is when I see these people again, I don't see them every week, I don't see them every month, I don't even see them but maybe once a year. Mm-hmm. But we don't have to start over. Mm-hmm. We don't have to reintroduce ourselves. We can see each other, we know who we are. And there's a comfort, there's a comfort. And in saying that, The people that I have met in GA and the people that I see on a regular basis at my regular meetings are not the people that I necessarily bring home with me Mm -hmm. or go to dinner with. But I will see these people once a week. And the connection that we have is that We have an understanding of how our addiction held us and limited us. Today, 
we don't have to be limited and we can live differently. So there's an understood just seeing someone that I know that is in a GA program, in the GA program, or someone who's coming in brand new. It's so important to be able to have that connection of knowingness of of someone, you, whoever you you are, that someone has walked a comparable path, mm-hmm. has had comparable devastation and destruction in their life, and has made comparable decisions to do different things. There is something really nice about being able to walk into a room knowing that you're about to disclose some of the most intimate details about your life and and knowing that there's probably going to be at least a couple people just smiling and nodding because they know not only where you're coming from, but kind of where you're at, you know, um, right. where they, you know, the things that I thought were absolutely devastating that that was going to get me kicked out of the rooms, you know. Uh, when disclosing them and people, you know, just had that look of, of comforting nostalgia almost where like, yep, I can remember being there. That understanding of those dark, intimate details really does create some powerful connection. Like you, you have opened up and have been vulnerable and have been met with compassion and, and you know, grace and who doesn't want that? You know, who doesn't want that kind of community in their life? You know? Yeah. For some of us, it's really hard to accept that. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, some of us believe that the things that we have done to others, we have commi- committed the ultimate sins against humanity in the midst of our addiction. Mm-hmm. I don't know that people ever look for necessarily forgiveness, but certainly a degree of understanding. And there is a degree of understanding. I, I can understand your story. I didn't do exactly what you did, mm-hmm. but the devastation that I created, I bet, felt the same to the people that I was involved with. Yeah. And also to myself. How, how we each individually harmed ourselves by taking for granted and asking people to walk with us, whether that's your child, whether that's your spouse. You know, you go, yeah, well, hey, we're not having Christmas this year, you know? Or, yeah, the lights are turned off because, well, whatever lie I right. would make up about mm-hmm. that. Um, but how that negativity impacted those around us that we were supposed to love. Well, we weren't even loving ourselves, and we took other people with us into that that abyss. Mm-hmm. And so having other people who can hear that mm-hmm. and and still welcome you with open arms and say, I'm glad you're here. You know, you're, you're, yeah, you're heard and you're, 
more or less understood as as far as one can when right. talking about other people's experiences. Right. Um, and then you know that just that that ability to kind of feed off of each other in that way that the kind of I, I would almost call it like a spiraling of compassion where you know I came into this room. I was understood and now there's these people coming into the room for the first time and they feel like they are in the worst place that nobody will ever understand them, appreciate them, love them again. And now it's, it's kind of your turn to, to extend that same grace and, and compassion to people who are sitting in the same spot that you were, you know, on your first day. So. Yeah. Kind of goes back to earlier. I was thinking about um, service work in GA. Mm-hmm. Um, service work is making coffee for everyone, mm-hmm. making a pot of coffee, or um, leading a meeting, or hanging a, a sign up on the door so that people on the outside can see we're having a GA meeting. Um, being of service to your fellow man, being available to hear their story, mm-hmm. that to me is providing service work. That's another way of saying, like you said, glad you're here. Mm-hmm. This is where this is where you can come and be with like-minded folk who get what you're saying, get who you are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, is there anything else that you want to say specifically about 12-step GA? Is there anything maybe that we haven't touched base on that, that you think is important for people to, to know if they're, especially if they're, you know, early in their journey where maybe they haven't gone to a meeting yet, they're looking for options. And maybe this podcast is something that's kind of in their contemplative mind, you know, where they're doing a little bit of data mining yeah um ga isn't the end-all be-all but it's a really important humanistic part of abstinence in the beginning i believe that we we just try to develop a sense of abstinence of not putting that first dollar, that first bill, whatever that first bill is, into a machine or not go to that casino, not bet on that first horse race, not Um, and that's not all that GA is. That's not that's not the only part that there is to a gambler. I believe we also need to be in counseling. We need to find some sort of counseling professional, and there are professionals out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe any and all help that we can find 
there are a lot of options. GA, I think, is crucial for everyone to be involved in. It provides us a way of acknowledging our courage, strength, and hope. Mm -hmm. And use all of the tools. There are, there are professional counselors. There are peers. There are mentors. And just because a person who's in the midst of their gambling addiction maybe you find that going to a counselor isn't right for you then try the GA meeting maybe that'll be right for you if you find that the meeting isn't right for you then go to a counselor find yourself a mentor um, talk with your peers but don't ever stop looking for recovery mm -hmm. abstinence stopping gambling is really hard and you need as many resources around you as possible to help you stay on your path once you've made that decision for yourself. So use any and all tools that you can find. You go from not taking care of yourself, your family, or anybody, mostly yourself, just not taking care of yourself, to now it's time to take care of you and to start some healing. One way to do that is through GA, and one way to do that is through abstinence. Mm -hmm. Making a commitment to yourself to stay on that path so that your life is better, and all of those that you love will have a better life. So you stay on the path, and you say, for today, for this day, I will not gamble. Or at the end of the day, you say, I didn't gamble today. I don't know about tomorrow, man. Tomorrow, mm -hmm. that's a whole, that's a new day. Mm -hmm. um, and one day at a time. I know that when I was stopping, it was like one moment at a time. Because at any moment, I could jump into action. I could feel myself being pulled, wanting, craving to gamble, to sit behind a machine. And I don't know all of the steps I had to take in order to stop, to not place the next bet. But I did that. I was able to do that. So it's not a, and it's not a direct, straight line to anything mm -hmm. uh, to recovery. But one day at a time, when you're in GA, there's a, you have the combo book, um, reading that every day. Uh, one of the phrases that got me through was, um, 
don't go in or near gambling establishments. Don't gamble for anything. I would have to recite that a thousand times a day, 50 times a day, a hundred times. I kept that phrase, don't go in or near. Mm -hmm. I even had to change the roads that I took back and forth, like to work and back, you know, because I was gambling at a place along the way. So I had to, um, I had to go around, go around, just don't go in or near. And I knew I would, if I saw the place, I'd be called in, Mm -hmm. you know, so. Yeah, breaking that routine. That's a big one, Uh, especially in the, this is something that will be available to anybody to listen to, but here in Oregon, Trying to drive anywhere without passing some sort of establishment that offers gambling, uh, you're you're going to be hard pressed to find a route that doesn't pass a single one. Um, but certainly, trying to change your route to get away from the ones that were your ritual, you know, the, right. the ones that you were more inclined to go to than others. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a big part for me too, <laughs> for yeah. sure. Um, so. You also mentioned a, f- a few different um, options for people. So, you know, we talked about peers, which are just p- other people in the community, mentors, which we're actually going to have an episode uh, that discusses peer mentorship, recovery mentorship, and what that is, what, what you know, uh, what it offers and what it can do for people. We're also going to be talking about different programs like uh, Smart Recovery, which is a cognitive behavioral therapy-based um, program. And it'll be kind of interesting to talk to people who maybe utilize both um, both of these kind of science-based and spiritual-based programs and figure out, like you, you know, you, you um, are also a facilitator for SMART, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on that no. because we'll, we'll blow through an entire season's worth of <laughs> program. Um, but yeah, so being able to use those kind of dual pillars of logic and spirituality, they seem like they might be counterintuitive, but I'm, I'm really interested in how, seeing how those can work together. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Nothing is a single path. Uh-huh. Nothing. Um, and I believe the more you know, the more information you have, the more direct your path will be. You won't have so many crooked, crooked roads to take. Um, I guess I would like to add a little bit about what you were talking about. I never in my life thought that I would be in a capacity that I would have the information, the training, the education that I get to have now. I am blessed. I am honored to be allowed to work with compulsive gamblers. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the greatest gift that my recovery has brought to me, is that I, I am sitting on some board, boards of um, several organizations as a peer support specialist, as a certified recovery mentor, as a um, a certified gambling recovery mentor, as a qualified mental health associate. My path has taken me to a complete 
other side and I wouldn't have been I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do anything if I hadn't started asking questions Mm -hmm. when I heard people talking about this place that they could go uh, where they went for recovery and then when I'm there being told well you got to do this you have to go to this meeting Sunday night Mm -hmm. I don't want to and what a blessing what a blessing that along that misery miserable path that I was walking that people have come into my life to you know, say, ah, come on, you know, you're sick of that crap, come on, you mm-hmm. know, come and do this with us. It's, um, yeah, I've been very blessed. I'm very fortunate. I also have a partner who is in long-term recovery. Mm-hmm. And has that made it easier? I think so. I think so. Um, but even though what I've discovered is that his path is certainly was and is now different. There's only a few things that we do the same. Um, most of our life, we're still individuals uh, walking these mm-hmm. this path. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good thing. <laughs> I agree. And as far as service work goes, Rose, I mean, I only know part of your story, but from from what I know of you, you know your your commitment to the recovery community your willingness to advocate uh for those who may not be able to speak up for themselves right now um it doesn't go unnoticed and i on a personal level i do appreciate what it is that you do you know going across the country to talk to people about recovery and and what people in problem gambling recovery are are kind of lacking what what they need what kind of supports they need and I just wanted to let you know it doesn't it doesn't go unnoticed. So Thank you. I really uh, appreciate your taking some time to talk to me today, um, and I look forward to getting to know you even better. So, <laughs> Rose, I thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. It was my pleasure. All right, I want to thank my guest, Rose for being so very generous and open and vulnerable with her interview. Um, I want to thank you guys for listening. And if you want to know more about Voices of Problem Gambling Recovery, go to vpgr.net. It'll have access to resources, uh, the mentorship program, and more. We've got a lot more episodes coming your way, so I hope you'll join us next time. This has been Brian Ward. Voices, the podcast.